And today we're going to talk about faith and fatalism. Faith and fatalism, okay? And we're going to use the story of Paul to do that, okay? Um, probably a story that we're all versed, we're all familiar with for the most part. I'm sure most of us in this room know the story of Paul's conversion. But let's read the first five verses at least and then begin to unpack in about 15 minutes um, my sermon, okay? Amen. Welcome to first service. I love it. But before we do that, let's pray. Because it's always best when the Holy Spirit moves and speaks through people who are, um, are presenting his word. And so, Jesus, right now, we ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon my words, come upon me, so that your people will leave this morning edified and encouraged and strengthened. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's a verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, this may be awkward. I'm going to ask for my voice just to be turned down a little bit. I know that's unusual for me to ask <laughs> such a thing, but uh, I feel a little insecure that's so loud. Um, sorry. Uh, but Paul, Saul, excuse me, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This morning, I want us to feel or leave this place anyways encouraged. Encouraged in the truth that Jesus turns things around. Believing in the God of the book of Acts means living with the uh, possibility, uh, the likelihood that bad situations are going to turn around. They're going to turn around. Uh, and, and they're most likely going to turn around when you least expect them to. That's what we see in Paul's conversion. Now, I, I, I don't for a moment want to fill anybody this morning with a false sense of hope. I know we've got to be careful there, right? I mean, heaven forbid if we give people hope. <laughs> you know? Heaven forbid if we, we, we live with a philosophy that God is good, that God is great, and God is able to do far beyond what we could ever imagine Him to do. But one of the most devastating feelings in the church today, I believe with all my heart, is, is the feeling of fatalism. The feeling that this is the way it's going to be because this is the way it's always been. Nothing is ever going to change. My marriage, my children, right? My work, my finances, my city, my country, politics, racism, my everything has always been this way. Therefore, it will always be this way. Nothing will ever change. But you know, one of the great things about the book of Acts is that that is just emphatically not true. It's just not true. It is not a true witness of God. And, and you know what? 
I won't go there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys, is not dead. He, he is not distant. He is not silent. He is not weak. He is not uninterested in the world, in the progress of his mission in the world, in your life or in my life. He lives and what he began in his earthly life, he continues to do in his glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, resurrected life. Jesus, guys, Jesus, the Jesus that we are gathering around this morning, the Jesus that we just sang songs unto this morning, is full of surprises. He's full of surprises. And what happened in Paul's life was nothing short of a surprise, an unforeseen surprise, most likely by his colleagues who helped and joined with him in the persecution of the church, and most certainly the church. After all, after Paul has this account, encounter with the Lord, this conversion, he goes blind. And he has to be taken by his friends who are with him into the rest of the way to Damascus in a, in a place where he was staying where, when God spoke to a man named Ananias. And God said, go pray for Paul that his eyes might be restored, that his sight might be restored. And Ananias is like, Lord, do you know who this man is? Like he's an evil man. Paul has a reputation. He's a tyrant. And his reputation follows him from the time before his conversion right until a long time after his conversion. In the beginning of Acts chapter 9, we see that he is actively involved with the persecution of the early church. Right? The persecution, as Matt talked about, and I think Bethany talked about a little bit, started in the book of Acts in eight, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1, after the death of Stephen. Let's read. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says this about Paul. Paul laid waste the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now I'm sure for the feeling in most that we're part of the church between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. There is a feeling of despair. I'm sure that those who were caught up in this great persecution, I'm sure they were anything but hopeful. Imagine yourself, right? You're part of the early church in these days, right? You have no legal protection. Uh, all the power structures that surround you are indifferent and hostile towards you. Would you, uh, I, I know I would, I would be tempted to murmur and fall prey to fatalism. You know, the Romans are against them. The Jewish council is against them. The priests are against them. Heck, the priests are even sending out authorized letters to have them imprisoned and killed. I, I, I can only imagine that I would fall to feeling defeated. This is the way it's going to be. After all, it would fall right within line to the message of Christ and the gospel that the world is going to hate you. Right? So you even have, you even have the validity 
backing up what's going on in the words of Christ, that the world will hate you. You will be persecuted. So why not? Why just, why just go on with it? Just let it happen. But that's not the way God works. You know, I can only imagine the momentum so great, the powers of evil, right, entrenched. There won't be any peace for the church for a long time, maybe until Christ comes back. It's kind of like an interesting position that you find the church in today. It feels as though half the church is just living for that time when Christ comes. And so, in order to not have your hope drummed up, you just might as well give up and say, well, Christ, you'll deal with this mess when you come back. We'll just wait till then. Nothing is ever going to change. But Jesus, guys, Jesus, the Jesus who we sang to, the Jesus that I'm talking about right now, Jesus is not boringly predictable. I know we'd like to make him that. I, I know we'd like to make Christ somewhat predictable because we can understand it better. When certain things happen in our life, if they were just normal and nothing rocked the boat too much, nothing upset the apple cart too much, it's just you knew you could rely on life being a certain way because Jesus just works in a certain way. But Jesus doesn't do things like that. Jesus shakes it up. He stirs the waters. Jesus is not locked into any fatalistic pattern of continuity. He is infinitely creative infinitely resourceful, and I happen to believe, I happen to believe this morning that he very much dislikes coming across being perceived as boringly predictable. After all, out of the blue, he takes this man, this figure, this key player in the persecution of his people, and he turns him totally around on a road as this man is going into Damascus. Saul, like we said, was breathing threats and murders Rumors of murders against Christians. It would just be enough that God would kill him, right? Just wipe him out. But God doesn't do that. He converts him. He, makes, he converts his heart. And not just any kind of conversion, but he wildly converts Paul's heart beyond anyone's imagination. He turns totally around. And the man who once was the greatest enemy of Christianity is now the strongest advocate for Christianity, and the most powerful missionary that Christ, the Christian faith has ever seen. So faith or fatalism? That's my question for us this morning. What will we fall prey to, Hilltop Church? What needs do you have today that need to be turned around? That maybe in a way you've just thrown your hands up and given up. This is just the way it's going to be. Because this is the way it's always been. You know, the same Christ who encountered Paul's heart, who converted Paul's life, then is the same Christ who is present here now. That's easy to say amen to, but but really start to get a vision of that. Jesus is not encumbered. He's not in chains, waiting to be unloosed so he can have his will in the earth. (laughs) He is full of surprises. And you cannot make a Jesus 
that fits within the context of your experiences. Because all around the world, this man, Jesus, is turning things around. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's adding to the numbers of the church. This man, Jesus, is in the business. Jesus is a game changer. You cannot make a Christ. You cannot fit Jesus within your own experiences of Jesus. Meaning if you've ever been let down, if you've ever had hope or faith for something that just didn't come through, it changes nothing about Christ. You know, the, the attitude we should have is like, hey, throw me in the fire. And if I die, I die. You know? I, if I burn, I burn. Nevertheless, God is good. He's able. Doesn't mean He will, but He's able. He is the same today, this day, right now, this Sunday, as He was there in Damascus, on the road to Damascus, excuse me, when He converted Paul's heart. Now, I'm going to say a statement here, and we're closing. I don't know how I did that. But I did it, praise God. <laughs> Getting better at this. Four months, you know, under the, under the belt. But and I'm going to make this statement, and it's going to confuse most of you. Okay? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, not, I, I'm not expecting much. Okay? But what I, what I want to say is, don't get rid of me because you don't understand the sentence or the statement. Excuse me. <laughs> Go back maybe two or three days from now, listen to the statement again, and think about it. Um, and, and half of this is something that John Piper put together that I stole. Some of it is some of my own ideas where I added to the great mind of Piper. I know he's coming under a lot of scrutiny these days. I think he said something about women in ministry and wow, people are going off the hinges. So if you heard that statement and you're offended, I'm sorry. I still like the man, um, even though his theology might be a little messed up in that particular uh, arena. Um, but here's the statement. Here, here we go. You ready? Y'all ready? Yeah. Here we go. There's a correlation, okay? There's a correlation between fatalism and pride. Okay? And not just any kind of pride, but a specific pride, okay? Um, let's call it the pride of predictions. The pride of predictions of human beings that are, uh, that are largely based um, on human calculations of human knowledge about human factors. Now, that's where you probably missed me. So let me try to give an example, all right? Let's say we have a, a, a lady named Sally. Is there anybody named here Sally? Great. Okay, so Sally... <laughs> Sally is this unknown figure to us all this morning, but she exists in my mind. And then we have another figure. His name is Bob. I'm sure we may have a Bob here. Sorry, but you're not this Bob, okay? You're a different Bob, and we love you. So there's Sally and Bob. We're in a setting just like this, and the Lord speaks to me, okay? And this is all just an analogy, okay? This didn't really happen. I think I explained that right. And God speaks to me to pray for Sally. And God speaks to me specific about maybe something that Sally is going through in her body. Maybe there's... Uh, chronic disease, or I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's specific, okay? And, 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 and all of a sudden, my faith is, is kind of surging. I, I, I'm like, oh, I got, I got faith for Sally this morning. God is speaking to me, hallelujah. And I start to 
work up the energy and the focus to go pray for Sally. As soon as I do, something begins to pop in my mind. And two months ago, I had an experience with Bob, okay? Bob is an unknown guy. Hi, Bob. And I had the same feeling two months ago with Bob. And I took a chance. I moved in faith and prayed for Bob, and I saw nothing happen. Actually, to this day, Bob still has cancer. Okay, let's just say it's cancer. And that mind immediately, that, that, that thought of that experience immediately unravels in my head. And I start to think, okay, but I, what do I do? I, I have faith for Sally, but man, Bob, I prayed for him two months ago and nothing happened. And now I'm going to go pray for Sally? Oh, oh did, Lord, did you start to speak? To, are you speaking to me? Or is this really, am I just moving upon my own kind of intuition and desire or whatever, or focus for Sally or love for Sally or whatever it is? And I just begin, the, the wheels start turning. And I, the consequences of the wheels turn, I just do not pray for Sally. Because I've built a prediction, you know, of what's going to happen given the data that I gathered from my experience with Bob. And therefore, I'm never moving in faith. And that one experience that I had with Bob totally just rules my emotions and my decisions in regards of taking steps of faith. It just, it just, it just, it, it controls them. And I no longer, I, I fall prey to fatalistic behaviors where it's just like, God, you didn't do it in Bob. So you're not going to do it in Sally. Here's another one. If we need a biblical example, right? Figure, biblical figure, Jonah. Jonah, right? God speaks to him. He tells him, Jonah, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, please, for all you elitists. You know, you, that might be the wrong word, but you biblical scholars, you. Um, God speaks to Jonah. He says, go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah he, he builds up this case of why he's not going to uh, Nineveh because he already knows what God's going to do. Therefore, he goes in the opposite direction. That's what fatalism looks like. Wow. What happened to Jonah? He got swallowed by a fish. So, <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? Let me read this statement right again. You can clap. It's okay. It's, it's, I know, you're just excited. There's a correlation between fatalism and pride, and not just any kind of pride, but a specific pride. Pride in the predictions of human beings that are based on human calculations, of human knowledge, of human factors. Can I just say one thing in closing? That there is a pride in those predictions, and God is not to impress, even when they come from Christians. I think sometimes we think we can be God's mouthpiece and in and, 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 and different scenarios and situations. And there's no, we had a, a similar situation when we got booted from, you know, the one hotel to the next. And, and, and there were some people that were just confused and thinking that something was going on that really wasn't. And they started speaking like they were speaking for God. And it just, it causes a sense of like confusion. Like, no, this is not what God, God is doing. It's not what God's doing. But there is, there's a danger in that kind of pride. And, and the real danger is, 
is we, the church, become uh, fall, 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 excuse me, pray to fatalism rather than having faith, of which is that faith which gives God pleasure. It's crazy that I could think of a million different things that in my head, in my life, that I'd do that would displease God. But yet, in his calculation, you know, he looks at my lack of faith as displeasurable. Let me now add John Piper's two cents in the quote that I read earlier. John Piper wrote about faith in an article for Desiring God, and he said, fatalism, this may offend some of you, so, but I like the quote, fatalism is practical atheism. At best, it does not reckon with the living Lord of the universe who turns things around out of the blue. The point of the book of Acts, friends, the point of the kingdom of God, the point of your Christian life is that Jesus is alive and he is in charge of the world and Jesus butts in (laughs) to our small little existence and Jesus changes things. God is not or does not like fatalistic attitudes of pessimistic uh, cyclical views. Jesus turns things around. And my question to us this morning is what do you have need for Jesus to turn around this morning? I'd like to pray for us. Will you stand? What, can I get a, some piano? Just some piano. Helps out. The Holy Spirit likes piano, especially when Will plays. <laughs> I'm going to ask my wife to come pray for us. And essentially, I'm just going to ask, we're going to pray that the Lord would deliver us. And he would, um, he would give us a spirit of faith that brings great pleasure to God. Honey, will you come pray? Father, this morning we're reminded even of the words of Job when he declared, Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. Lord, your ways are so far beyond our comprehension. Your wisdom is so far above our human calculations. And God, your ability to break into circumstances is so far beyond our past experiences. So God, we ask this morning, Lord, as a people, Lord, would you deliver us in our mindsets? God, would you deliver us in our emotions? God, every place that we define our life, that we define our reality, that we even define the parameters in which you move and how you move based upon our past experiences. Lord, we ask, Father, that even in this season of our lives, God, as a posture of worship, that we would abandon our preconceived ideas. Lord, that we would no longer formulate and calculate the, the outworking of our lives based upon what we have seen or what we have known or even what we have experienced in the past. But Lord, we say, Father, today our posture of worship is one of surrender. 
of saying, God, take all of our mistakes. Lord, take all of our experiences. Lord, take even those cycles of defeat and despair. God, take all of the things, Father, in our former days and in our past. And Lord, we lay them at the altar of worship. And God, we say, bring us into a new place. Bring us into a new reality. Bring us into a new experience, Father. Lord, I ask, Lord, even today, Father, under the sound of my voice, Lord, that emotional cycles would be broken. Lord, that we would confront, Lord, those places of emotional triggers of where we go into past experiences and past realities. And Lord, instead, we would invite you in, King of the universe creator of the heavens and earth, Lord, that you are able to rewrite the story. And so, God, we ask, Lord, that we would not define ourselves, our world, our circumstances, or even you by the experiences or even the trauma of yesterday. But, God, we ask, Lord, that as people that acknowledge you and profess to worship you, God, that we would worship you, Father, in the place of our perspectives, of continually inviting you in. We say, break in to our reality. Lord, break in, Father, to our perspectives. Lord, we want to see like you see. We want to perceive like you perceive. And God, we thank you, Father, that that is through eyes of faith, through the eyes of possibility, Lord, that your word is that all things are redeemable, that nothing is impossible. So God, we thank you, Father, that we truly would walk as people of faith, with eyes of faith in all circumstances. Amen. Amen.